You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today is James P. Keeler. Hey, James. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you. I, normally, I mention the project after that, but I just didn't. I don't know. Your name is it's just framed so nicely there. But Wilt, yeah. of course, is your yep. primary mode of uh, expression, yeah? Yes, and, it is. I mean, you could, my name was good, too, just because I also do some work under my own name. It's mainly field recordings and sound collage kind of stuff. But Wilt, Wilt is, is the primary project I've been doing for this year is our uh, 25th anniversary for Wilt. So trying to celebrate as much as I can with it. So keep them going. Awesome. Well, it seems like a perfect time to have you on. What a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again. As it is the 25th anniversary, you started in the project, or at least started releasing in 1998, right? Well, so I originally created the concept for Wilt and started tinkering with sounds in 1998. And then the first release actually was a collection of those early experiments. So that was a release called Entropy and Free Associations, Early Works Collected. Um, and I, I released that as a, a CDR kind of thing, but that was it. So that was in 99. So, but yeah, so 98 got the ball rolling for Welt, created the concept and everything. And that was also when you founded the Institute for Organic Conversations, right? Which is your label. Yeah. I figured if I was going to start, uh, you know, self-releasing things, I should probably put a label on it. So I, I, I created the, you know, my little DIY label called the Institute for Organic Conversations or Orco short for that. You said you grew up in the Champaign-Urbana area of Illinois, Southern Illinois. And well, uh, that's the Chicago and you coming out. Right, <laughs> right, right. Like, it, yeah. If, if you talk to anybody from Chicago and you're like, oh, I, I grew up in Champaign, which is actually <laughs> central Illinois. Oh, right, right, Chicago right. It was like, oh, Southern Illinois. And you're like, I, oh. yeah. I've always thought of it <laughs> as Southern. Down there you're somewhere. Right. You're 100% yeah. right. <laughs> you're 100 I guess that's more Peoria would be Southern, right? No, no, like carbon. Am I just totally wrong? Yeah, yeah. I'm just totally Chicago centric. <laughs> brutal, brutal. Well, were you, you grew up there and that is where the project started, correct? Yeah. So, so I, I grew up as a, as a child up until college, but essentially, yeah, I grew up in uh, East Central Illinois, about 20 minutes south of Champaign Urbana, Illinois where the University of Illinois is. So fortunately, we had a little a little bit of a cultural center, which is, was awesome. But as a kid, I grew up out in the country. So I grew up in like cornfields and bean fields in a, in a strip of houses in a town called, it was a, called a, it was called a town Parkville, but it was like, you know, it was just like a strip of houses in the middle of nowhere. So, and I, and I think, so as a kid, you know, like in my DNA, like I'm a, I'm a creative. So like, that's one things I, I, one of the things I've realized about myself is that in order to get, you know, joy and fulfillment out of my life is to be constantly creating. So whether that's, you know, through art or design or even my job or, you know, sound or music. So I was always kind of as a kid looking for, you know, inspiration or just kind of looking, always observing types of things. So I was always like, I, I wanted to find and see and hear new things constantly. So, but when you, when you grow up in the country, you know, the, the opportunities are pretty spare. So I found myself, and I think this is, this parallels to something I read about um, Jeff Grinke, who's a, like a, an ambient, dark ambient artist. Oh yeah. That, that he was on his album, Cities and Fog. He was talking about when he was going out West, when it was like really rural and sparse, uh, that the trains off in the distance would create these drones throughout, you know, in the environment. But it wasn't, you know, it didn't really sound like a train anymore. It just sounded like these drones going on. So we got inspiration from things like that. And I think that's one thing that I, I was thinking about this a, a few days ago as a kid. I was like, I think I was always kind of paying attention to things like that. Like, you know, there was a highway a few miles away, but it didn't sound like cars anymore. And then depending on the environment and the atmospheric conditions, those sounds kind of changed as well. So I think I was always just kind of like paying attention to these really abstract things because uh, I was because my mind was always just like, you know, I, I need to be fed something new and different. So I was always kind of looking for things. So 
that kind of helped open my mind when I did really find out about experimental music and noise and industrial and all of those types of things. I think it kind of helped open my mind and be more accepting of it and, and you know, inspired by it as well. Grew up and went to, got my associate's degree at a college here in town. And I, so I actually, how did I get into this? So it was kind of like, I was, I got into like death metal. So I got okay, into so death you came metal. From, you came from the metal side yeah. of things. Yeah, I'm kind of jumping forward a little bit, but. No, 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 this is great. This I, You read our minds. I was definitely about to ask, <laughs> yep. so how the hell did you discover this stuff in Champaign-Urbana? So, so essentially, uh, early college, me and my friends, we got together. We really kind of got into death metal and grindcore and, and noise. But it wasn't like Mersbau when we were talking. You know, it's more like AC and things like that. So we got together, started this death metal band. And, you know, uh, I, you know, obviously things like Relapse Records, uh, you'd get the catalogs and you'd look through there and you get to the back and it's like the experimental part. And, and so I would read a lot about these different types of things, like, like for instance, noise, like with Mersbau. Um, I didn't realize what noise was at the time. Like whenever I was reading those things, I thought it was just kind of like that, like more extreme version of like set anything Seth Putnam was doing, you know, right, just right. Like, mm-hmm. I thought it was just like, you know, the organic kind of stuff. Um, but it, it wasn't until later. It wasn't until 96 that I had gone, I'd gone down to school in Carbondale and me and a friend went over to St. Louis and we went to vintage vinyl. And surprisingly vintage vinyl had that pretty decent, like experimental industrial noise section. And I was like, Oh, here's that Mersbau. I, you know, I'll, I'll, I always wanted to hear it, you know, I thought it sounded really interesting. So I picked up uh, electric salad. And oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> right. Right. So, so I get home and, you know, my, again, my mindset is, you know, like, you know, like blast beats, but like times a hundred type. Right. And I put it on and, and I did something I think a lot of people do, but probably don't want to admit, especially in this, in the underground world is when I, I put it on and I was like, this is just noise. You know, as I, and you know, and it wasn't it wasn't actually until um I had picked up a, a Namanac CD monstrous. Right, right. That was kind of like the gateway for me to under my mind like clicked. Like when I heard Namanax was monstrous, I mean it's structured, but like you know, it's all based off of these noise patterns. And and then my it just kind of clicked with my mind. I was like, oh, I get it now. You know, and I, I kind of got the potential for it. So then that kind of opened up the rabbit hole for noise in itself, um, you know, just trying to find anything that I could. So there was like, you know, Japanese American noise treaty, oh, Relation yeah. Mind Volume 2, uh, Namanax, you know, uh, Mersbau, Alb, you know, just kind of down that rabbit hole. Um, but, but initially, whenever I first moved down there, the first CD that actually kind of opened the whole thing up for me uh, was uh, was a CD called The Ambient Expanse. And it was a, it's a Steve Roach project. And each track, he collaborates with a different artist. So there's like Veer Unis and uh, Vidnev Mana, Patrick O'Herman, somebody else. And it was just like this, the most beautiful, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't really dark ambient, definitely wasn't new age. It was, but it was just like this completely different thing. So then I really got into ambient music and then, then it was just kind of like a pull to go online and try to find as much of this stuff as I could. Mm-hmm. And then I found uh manifold records out of Memphis, Tennessee. Oh Vince yeah. Harry. Oh yeah. And that was just like, that was just opened up all the doors for me, uh, for, for all that kind of music. And that's when I so I, I just and I, so I, I didn't like really uh, like to use my credit card at the time uh, online back in the day because it was still kind of sketchy. So I'd right. call events and we would just have these conversations and talk about all these different artists and everything like that. And and so that was really cool because then I got to understand some of the a little bit more of the thinking of of these different artists. Like he would talk, you know, because he released uh, final uh, one oh, yeah. the first millionth of a second. Yep. So we got, you know, he kind of, we, you know, shared some stories about Justin and, you know, that kind of process for things. And then uh, Akafumi uh, with Al, mm-hmm. uh, who is really a, one of those top tier influences for oh, me. Oh, yeah. And kind of talked about his process for things as well. So it was really cool. And then, 
and then the next the next big label for me was for for distribution and things like that was was self abuse records that was in and then like uh patrick was has like always been a really incredible individual you know to yes. to work with or just communicate with just a, a really great guy so that opened you know more of the lo-fi kind of areas of noise as well i think can't remember if I so like a, the American noise tape that was yeah, a big yeah. influence yeah. for me too. It was like really just raw, dirty, scummy kind of noise, and I can't remember. I think I might have gotten that from self abuse, but that was so. So it's kind of like taking all of these different projects, like Lowell, Noel, Steve Roach, Vidnev Mana, and uh, Final, and then on the other side is like Mersbau and Alb. And, you know, in the middle, is kind of like Namanax and all this stuff. And I'm like, how do I, how do I do this for one? You know, how do I actually start creating sounds mm -hmm. like this? And then, you know, how do I blend all these styles to together? Because I was like, I love all this stuff, but I don't want to necessarily just do this or just do that. Right. And then I got, what was it? The Grunt Splatter Slow Vent CD. Oh, Once okay. I got that, yeah. Great one. Yeah. So I got that and I was like, this is it. This is, this is. This is the kind of aesthetic that I want to go for. Uh, so, so I kind of envisioned doing that, and and I would also throw in like Hands Two and Jeff German and Auger, which is a very an artist that probably needs to get a little bit more attention. He's he does ambient music now, Steve Brand, but back in the day he did a like sound collage, field recordings, and stuff like that. Absolutely amazing project. So, you know, taking taking all of those ideas and kind of putting them together, I was like, okay, now what do I call it? You know, so I thought and and I and I didn't necessarily want to approach it like a band either. I didn't I, you know, I wanted this to be more like a work of art because that's I was at the time doing a lot of art and doing a lot of art classes and the design and everything. And had you always envisioned it being solo? Uh well, you mean just just as like like with like what itself. you what, yeah exactly what mm -hmm. you were what you were envisioning doing did you envision it always as a solo thing or had did you consider uh adding people to it when you were thinking oh, about yeah. what you wanted to do No that's a great question initially I I wanted to do it just as like a a form of sound art you know under you know putting all these things in a blender and then doing that and then I was like okay what do I call it Right. And then, then I thought, well, the sounds are kind of abrasive and textural and not quite a aesthetic, as some people might not consider it very aesthetically pleasing. So I thought about a flower, you know, a flower will, you know, flowers, this thing of beauty, but then it wilts and dies and it becomes this crusty thing, you know, but so I, I felt like it's it was a great metaphor for this, the types of sounds that I was doing was like, I, I find these types of dark you know, aesthetic, uh, textural types of things as still beautiful, but you know, it's, it's, it's corrosive in, in its own way. So, and then I, the, the title Wilt, I actually got inspiration from a brutal truth track called Wilt. And then there was a, um, Meat Hook Seed. They did a, a Wilted Remnant, I think is what it's called, a Wilted Remain, something like that. So I, I'd already had that kind of, mm -hmm. you know, that name stuck in my head and I just felt like, it was a good metaphor for, for what I was doing. So then I kind of had everything down and then I was like, okay, now well, how do I do this? You know, right, so, right, right. Right. Cause I was in the, in the death metal band I was in, I was a vocalist. So I didn't, you know, I didn't really do any instruments. And so, had you seen, had you had any noise bands or noise adjacent bands come down to champagne that you had seen live or did you have no context for how, some of this stuff was actually no, made. no context whatsoever. It was just like, okay, figure it out, you know. Um, and this was the, and again, uh, this was all before I started talking to people like the Vince or communicating with other people in right. the community. So I was like, uh, what was it? I cut out oh, uh, with Jeff, Jeff German with hands too. I was like, this guy's just going out, you know, and he's recording field recordings with, with handheld cassette recorders and crusty tape recorders and, I was like, that's what I'll do. So I I had a, a handheld micro cassette tape recorder and a and a normal cassette tape recorder handheld. And I just I you know again with the childhood thing, it's just like really being observant of my uh, of environment. 
and, you know, really just letting that active listening going and just taking everything in and to just, when I would hear an interesting sound, I would just start to record it or, you know, so it could be a field recording or like I would, you know, pick, I would find like broken glass or something, you know, just as an example and, you know, record that. And then, so I would do a lot of like object manipulation as well. And then I had like a cheap synthesizer. So it was just kind of combining all of those things and then trying to figure out, you know, how to use, how to, how to do recording and things like that. Um, you know, putting it all through like multi-tracking and stuff like that as well. So that, you know, that's when I ended up, you know, I didn't have like a four track or anything. So it was all pretty much based on the computer for, for all of the mixing and things like that. So that's what kind of started it. And then it wasn't until like my second release, the black box aesthetic or no, uh, black hole butterfly that I really kind of figured out how to do what I wanted to do and kind of, kind of solidified that process and so then there was just a matter of like okay what do i want to do for each release and then the idea again because i I look at this as like a type of sound art or a form of art so each release is is a concept and then so i either you know i come up with a concept based on a theme that you know whether it's quantum mechanics or you know astrophysics or or poetry or you know like charles baudelaire or uh uh Shelly, you know, just coming up with a with a concept and then and then basing, figuring out, okay, well, how does that sound? And then try to craft the sounds based on the overall concept. And then obviously art at some at some point as well with the packaging. You mentioned self-abuse being a big important label for you early on. And Pat's oh, yeah. someone that you're going to work with in the future from there, still work with to this day. Yeah. When did you end up starting? full communication with Pat. And then when did you guys start well, uh, working think, together? Yeah. Great question. I think, uh, initially, you know, I had, you know, I had the, the first two releases that I put out as like CDR things. So I was trying to find like, you know, distribution for it through different, um, different labels. And so I was able to, you know, make contacts with Manifold and, you know, he, he bought some CDs and then, then, you know, through searches through the internet, I found self-abuse and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm so-and-so, you know, just kind of introduced myself. And, and I think, I think it was the black, no, it was, it was entropy and free associations. I think I sent him some copies and he actually, he was like, I, he, he got back to me and he was like, Hey, I'm putting out this comp. It'd be kind of cool to you know, have a Wilt track on it. So I took uh, one of the tracks off of um, Black Hole Butterfly and sent that to him. And that ended up on being like on one of the, I think it was a Solipsism, Solipsism, I can't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, releases, but it was like, I, I can't remember what number it was, but there was like Whore Butcher and, and uh, was it Fever Dreams? It was basically a, a pretty solid, yeah, um, yeah. Noise, noise. And then at the end was like, you know, my stuff kind of closing it out. So uh, Patrick uh, gave me my first opportunity to really get out there and get exposure. So I'm I'm like tremendously grateful for that because that that really kind of kicked things off for me because, you know, I think uh, that and getting, you know, those early CDRs out there and getting and getting people more exposed to it. And then essentially, you know, just kind of over the years, keeping in touch. And then there was a period where we didn't we didn't talk for quite a while. I always wanted to like skin crime is like one of my Ah, absolute favorite noise projects, American noise projects. And I think I was always there's a lot of from my perspective, there's a lot of intimidation, you know, whenever because these people were so influential to me. You know, I was really inspired by a lot of people's sounds and their projects and things. So it's it's. I always feel a little bit awkward because I was like, I always want to collaborate with skin crime and the same thing, like with grunt splatter, like we didn't, you know, it was over 20 years before we actually collaborated. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, which is a weird thing. Cause it, you know, it, it's, it just seems something that so natural that it should have happened a long time ago, but it, it is what it is. But yeah. So it was like, uh, it was like 2015, I think. And uh, I think I was like, Hey, you know, do you want to collaborate? And and then we, so we spent some time working on, uh, the horror of Fang rock, which was put out by Urashima in Italy. And that was, uh, it's, I, I re- originally created the pieces so that, that it would have been a two LP, but then the label wanted to do an LP and a CD. 
which I think a lot of just to clarify, they're completely different music. It's not like a CD of the LP. It's like it's an entire opus of like a continuation of the tracks. Uh, but yeah, so so we worked together, and actually it was it was pretty cool because I think um, you know Patrick has kind of evolved his sound with Skin Crime. You know, so it's not quite as as intense as it used to be, but it's 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 still got texture to it. But it's kind of more. Uh, there's a lot more dark electronics to it. So when he when he sent me a lot of the the sound samples, uh, it was like you know these really just creepy dark elements, and you know that that paired incredibly well. So so that was that was the first time working, you know, actually working together in that in that regard on the collaborative aspect. And it totally fits because yeah, the this the more modern skin crime builds to that intensity, and yeah, it's it's intense in a different way, right? It's it's your it doesn't necessarily come at you a hundred yeah. miles an hour when you hit play, right. but but you know, tsunami, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, it can be King very very match. sinister yeah. and haunting. Yeah, so yeah. I, it it does seem like a great team up and. And so, yeah, that obviously that comp had to have gotten you out to a lot of different people who were, you know, would always pick up whatever he was putting out. Were you playing live at all at the time? And what is your relationship with playing live? I know you do play live, but I don't feel it's a ton, right? It's a complicated relationship. It's, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's bittersweet. Um, yeah, because you know it's it's a lot easier to put everything together over time in a studio type of setting, but trying to do it live is different. You know, and then I'm like, how do I even do this? Because you know, I did I at the time starting out, you know, I didn't have a lot of gear either to really to to kind of execute it in that type of venue. So essentially, it was in. 2002 uh so i by by 2000 2001 i'd made a, a lot of contacts with people like matt gibney from the retrics who put out the black box aesthetic and then he kind of connected me to a lot of people like like lee from navicon torture technologies and and you know theologian now and uh just and peter lee was a guy on the east coast uh i don't know if he was running if he had started his label force of nature at the time or not i think he was just starting but anyway so peter lee was putting on a show for god the god blast america tour in providence right right so so in and so people know god blast america tour uh the providence show was uh their bluthars and in zafalia and deutsch nepal and then there was you know a, a quite a diverse group of people opening up the show but i should back up a little bit because actually the first show i did was in chicago Okay. So at the time, I had just I'd gotten on to the Noisium label, uh, Nicholas Chevreau. Uh, it was the Noisium was based out of Berlin, and uh, Wilt was actually the first CD that he he put out. He eventually it became more of like a techno and beat oriented. A lot of projects like that. Um, but one of the one of the other first projects was a project called Tarmbred. And he was doing a sub-snow tour. They call it the sub-snow tour over here. So Chicago was one of the dates. And I saw that uh, tour in uh in Windsor, Ontario, I want to say. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was I I didn't quite know what to expect with Tarmbred because I wasn't really into techno as much, but I was really impressed with it. It's cool. The drummer Frederick from uh oh, what was his project? Was it Frederick Bergstrom? Yeah, Frederick, yes. Yeah, from yeah. No Festival of Light. Yes. So he played drums for Time Fred uh, on the tour for it. And then uh, uh, Selma, I can't pronounce her. I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this name right or wrong, but uh, Yakubi, she was really in the experimental scene at that time in Chicago. So she put on the Chicago venue for that tour. And it was uh, Time Fred, Wilt, the La Rock Collective, and Veil of Secrecy. So that was the first show that I ever did. So I got the invite and I was like, yeah, I would love, obviously I would love to do that, but I had no idea how to actually, you know, do it. So, um, easy to say, yeah, easy to say yes. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I just said, yes. Uh, right. what do I do? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, um, I had actually, I'd made a contact with a guy here in town who, uh, did a, a radio show on the, the community radio. 
it was a, a show on Sunday nights that he did uh, like industrial and experimental type of music. So I had called up and just made a request for something one time. So we started talking and he actually uh, had some gear so that, you know, he had kind of been tinkering with things. So I was like, hey, you know, we, we kind of made a connection. Um, his name was Jay Eichner. I was like, hey, I got invited to do this thing, but I, I don't really know how to, you know, I don't know how to perform well live. So I just basically brought everything that I had over to his place and we just kind of figured out, you know, how to how to do it. So, um, you know, it was just like a combination of uh, a cheap synthesizer, reverb pedals. Uh, I had this like lap steel guitar with a reverb on it as well and like a metal bar. So and then some objects and then and then jay had some his own electronics he had some like uh was it dave dave smith type electronics and things like that so so yeah so we just kind of kept rehearsing trying to figure things out and then you know tried to figure out a time link for things too because i'm like okay you know i i typically with wilt you know my ideal is like i want to go for 40 minutes to an hour because you know i'm trying to create an environment but you know, but the audience may not like it. A lot of noise shows, <laughs> I, you know, that that doesn't always work. Definitely. Uh, so, yeah. So so we figured it out and that was our first show. And then and then we got the invite the next year to go to the to do the God bless God blast America show in Providence. So we got out there and we kind of expanded our palette a little bit more. So it was like a lot more objects and things like that in contact mics and microphones and, and just a kind of a, a combination of things. So it, it was there was a lot of experimentation early on. We tried to prepare as much as possible. Uh, but then later, uh, later on, Jay and I, we kind of. I think Jay had moved away and then I had made a contact with a friend of mine from, from school, Dan Hall. And Dan had, was a guitar player, is a guitar player. And I was like, Hey, have you ever heard of, you know, experimental music? And uh, he hadn't heard of it. So I made him like a, you know, a, a dubbed a bunch of stuff for him to kind of get an idea. And so then he really got into it and really uh, kind of excelled at it. And then, then it was just kind of a process of, he and I doing a lot of improvising and seeing what we could kind of do with that. So then our shows from like 2004 kind of on a lot of them, when we would do shows, it was a lot of just improvising live, which sometimes worked really well. And sometimes ad did not at all. And then, you know, sometimes we would, we would, we would prepare for things, you know, after we would get kind of like bad responses. But I remember we had a really horrible show one time and, and, uh, in Brooklyn, we, we were playing the Lucky Cat Lee uh, from Annihilus put on this show, and it was like it was like Wilt, uh, was it post postscriptum? Jane Flockin did a, a laptop performance, and then uh, What Was Me opened up with uh, Lino from uh, Hemlock was doing vocals, which was just one of the most intense power electronics performance I, I think I've ever seen. But so. And I, I don't really want to harp on the the bad show, but I thought it was funny because like halfway uh, into our set, we were just we just lost our groove. And and I remember there was a there was quite a few people for the venue. And I remember just looking over and, and this is kind of crass, so I apologize. But I remember a, a woman like lifting up her skirt, pulling out her tampon and just throwing at us. Wow. It, we were so, <laughs> it was I'm like, how can you screw up noise, you know? And then, and then, so, so when we got done, uh, I looked up and there was like, you know, like five people there. And then the bartender was like, congratulations. You ran everybody out of the, wow. of the yeah, it was so that bad. That was that probably the worst. Wild. That was the absolute worst Wilt performance ever. So I felt, I felt really bad about it, but, but you sometimes know, we, we do, sometimes we do like to ask people what their worst shows. We need to get back to that. Cause yeah. you know, the good yeah. shows, yeah. the good yeah. shows are good shows, but we don't get right. stories like that. So right, yeah, yeah, you know, every, everyone's had those You don't shows. get to learn everything the easy way. You yeah, know? yeah. Sometimes yeah. you got to learn it the hard way. Yeah. So I can definitely see the complicated relationship. Wow. Uh, and that was, that was in there a, a little bit early to mid 2000s that so that show was in 2006 i think yeah so it was yeah it was still uh, us trying to figure out you know what to do you know live 
So, you know, ver- improvised versus, you know, prepared pieces. So, so like, I, like Gray was at a show in Urbana. I think he came over with, with bloody minded and uh, sleeping with the earth. I think Charlie yeah. was there, Charlie Dram. Yep. Uh, and uh, so for that particular show, we we did like a ton of rehearsal for it. So it was very methodical. And it's like, all right, you're going to, you know, you're going to do the synthesizer part here and that in that. So, I, I mean, I like to do both. I like I think the the best formula for Wilt is to have like kind of do like three different pieces, maybe, you know, five to seven minutes long. And then like at the end it becomes just improvised chaos, you know? I, so I think that's the right formula for what we're doing. Cause it's like, you know, I, I still want to be representative of the actual Wilt sound. And there's been a lot of times when we performed live where it's just, it just, it's something completely different. So, so yeah, we're trying to be more cognizant of that, but, but it's been a while since we've done anything live. Right on. Uh, going back a bit to the, to the early days it yeah. seems like you you did a couple self-release things and then fairly quickly after that you uh you kind of fell in with some some labels and some people like you yeah. know we see the rectrix uh zoftig mm-hmm. research right with stolen lights label yeah. obviously working with scott candy uh doing the wither cd on cryonic mind i th- think that that i think the stolen light split may have been my first exposure to yourself Oh, or, yeah, that was... or the Wither CD, somewhere around there. But, you know, uh, just a couple years after that, you talk about Ad Noisium, and yeah. it was a weird label that I never quite knew where it sat in terms of right. what it was releasing because of something like Tarmvred. And there were other labels kind of releasing the the power noise, the rhythmic industrial right. noise, techno yep. stuff of the time alongside the noisier stuff. I mean, Aunt Zen had kind of always done that, right? Like mm-hmm. you've got condom releases and all releases, but you've also got tons of, you know, whatever uh hypnoskull or something like that or pal but ad nauseum released to me and especially at the time i hadn't really heard a a record that was as conceptually full or felt as thematic as yeah radio 1940 your, your double album from 2002 and yeah. I, I it really struck me at the time and i still find it to be a very striking release and i find it you know just kind of a infinitely listenable it's always captures an atmosphere that i can sink myself into so I, I would love to hear a little bit about that album and how it came to be and the concept and and the actual recording mm-hmm. of it yeah uh essentially i by that time i'd kind of gotten the formula down right because i'd put out i had put out um the black box aesthetic album and i put out uh, amidst a spacious fabric, which was the first Ed Noisium one, and then Wither on Cranic Mind, and then so I'd really kind of, I had I'd covered like the spectrum of different, not only concepts but different like types of recording, and and different styles, and so I I had felt really confident in in understanding where I could kind of go next. So the you know Nicholas was like you know I would, you know hey let's do another album together so. I was like, okay, what do I, what do I want to do? And I don't remember how initially it came up, but I, I know I had ultimately it was like a visualization of, I had thought about, and I, again, I don't know where this came from, but it was the idea of like, there's this, it, it was like a, a David Lynch kind of thing, like eraser head kind of uh, like aura to it. But basically it's the idea that there's like this room, this crusty, moldy, mildewed smelling room trapped somewhere in time. And the windows, there's like old 1920, 30, 40s newspaper just like pasted over it. So there's like hardly any light in it. And, you know, wallpaper coming off just really old, decaying, you know, wilting type of environment. And in the middle of uh, in the in the middle of the room, there's like this table. And on it is a is a radio, and then the radio is just kind of projecting this this cloud of of these different images. It's it's almost like a I don't want to say like portal, but it's like it's it's just like storing all these memories from from culture, uh, you know, art and design, and uh, the, obviously the war was a big part of it, you know. And basically, it was like all of these ideas entrapped the emitting from this radio. 
it, so it was kind of obviously Radio 1940, so it centered around the 40s, but it was also about the the culture right before that and kind of right after that. So I kind of then I I did like a deep dive into just history and just trying to look at all the different aspects of of that time from a, from an artistic and literature and World War II and you know all of the and, and design and all of these things to get ideas uh, for for concepts. And, you know, like futurism, you know, the concept of futurism, things like that. So then I wanted it to be, you know, kind of more moldy and lo-fi-ish, you know, but, you know, but not, not, you know, like crusty tape lo-fi, but, you know, just kind of have that, like, like it was recorded in 1940, you know, Mm -hmm. that if there was a, if I was back then, you know, what would it, what would the type of thing sound like? So I kind of reverted back to that handheld recording process where at the time I was living in an old farmhouse, which probably prompted the visual because this farmhouse was like really old, lots and lots of spiders, very creaky floors, you know, it was in the middle middle of nowhere kind of a thing. But there were these uh, barns on the property and in the barns were like all these just of this just like you know, all these artifacts from, from time gone by. So I, I just got to the barn and, and, and start recording these different sounds, you know, like, like tin cups that were all rusty and broken glass. And, or I remember one time there was one sound where I, I had take, found a feather and I was just like rubbing the feather on the, the font, the funnel of an old uh, oil can. And it had like these little indents in it. So it would make this, this kind of weird, like pattern to it. And then there were like rusty bed springs that somebody had burned a mattress and there were just the bed springs left. Mm-hmm. So I like went out and just was, you know, manipulating this, these bed springs and then all this old farm, these old farm implements and things like that. And then so I, I had this huge collection of like object manipulation types of sounds. And so then just for uh, example, yeah. how uh, about how much of this did you do like hours of it how much how much oh, are yeah, you working question. yeah how much are you working with to then start sculpting yeah so some of the releases i can do you know i'll get the concept and i kind of go with this one radio 1940 i really i spent a lot of time working on that so it was probably you know probably a good six months or more that I actually put a lot of time kind of keep going back to things and changing things because, you know, again, I was just trying to collect it. When I, when I had like a pile of sounds and samples and things like that, I was like, Oh, now I need this. So then I would have to, you know, create it like synth type sounds. And I don't want it to sound like a synth, you know, cause this is the 1940s. It's got to sound, you know, how do, how do mm-hmm. I mask this kind of sound? And then, then it was like I, you know, I uh, got like an old uh, radio cassette from the 40s. So I was able to kind of sample like air raid sirens and things like that. Uh, what else was there? And there were there were some other silly samples that didn't actually end up on the the double CD Radio 1940, but it ended up in the demo. But so so I spent all this time really just trying to craft the sounds. You know, it was almost like a sculpture was just like the way I was kind of trying to push things around. And and then I had, so I, yeah, I kind of had like a mood board type thing where I, I would have like a bulletin board and I would just put stuff up like visuals from that time period or, you know, anything that I could find that, that kind of fit that aesthetics to just to kind of get an idea. And I was just trying to like pair the sounds and then with a specific titles as well. So like I had come up with a list because sometimes I'll have like a sketchbook and as I'm going through, like something might come to mind or else I'll, I'll, you know, in my research of that particular time or that theme or that concept, I'll start writing down different things that I'm kind of, you know, calling from that information. And so I had this list of stuff and I'm like, okay, this is starting to sound like this track, you know? So, and then like, like, uh, the, there's two tracks, I think that are, uh, that are based on futurism. So it was like, it was more uh the the uh, for me the idea of industrial is like you know like banging metal on metal so it was things like that like trying to make like an industrial type track 
but like, you know, again, the idea of it being in the 40s. So it's just, you know, putting all of that together. And then I had like about a CD's worth of material. And and back then I had to mail everything. Um, even though we had the internet, it was still, there was too much. You had to mail it off. So I sent a package off to, to Nicholas. And Nicholas was like, I really like where this is going. I think we should do two CDs. And I was like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> So, so yeah, so I just kind of kept going on the theme and, and then I got to really, I got to kind of cover uh, a little bit of literature. So I, I, uh, I read uh, Henry Miller's Under the Roofs of Paris, which is uh, like, a, a, for people who don't know, it's, it's a extreme erotic uh, book because Henry, you know, when he wasn't making money, he would write um, like erotic stories like uh, uh, Anise Nin. Mm-hmm. So he so this book was basically anything you kind of think of. And I was like, but at the time, I think, I don't remember when it exactly was written. It was like the forties or fifties, something like that. So the, the idea that something that perverse was produced in that time frame, I thought was very interesting, but then it was, you know, covering the idea of futurism. And then even from a design perspective, because I, I studied industrial design and one of the terms that, that they assigned to that type of style that wasn't necessarily art deco, but was used in like trains and things like that. It was kind of a similar style, but it was more industrial and and black a lot of times. And so that was called a depression modern style, you know, because like uh, art deco kind of came out of the the depression or was around that time frame. It was actually before that, but, but so this depression modern style came out uh, that was associated with different types of manufacturing and I just thought it was a beautiful title, you know, that, you know, so I tried to create something that wasn't quite as, you know, industrial based, but it was more mournful, you know, because it just it sounded so sad. So it was just a, trying to elaborate on on all of those different things. And it, it worked out really well. Uh, we were able to get um, uh, Ben and I don't know if I'm saying his last name right. Ben Didier. Uh, who's a graphic artist at the time? He did the whole layout for Radio 1940. Uh, he did a, and, and it just nailed it. You know, it was kind of like the moldy old kind of. Uh, you uh, mentioned cur- like newspapers covering windows, yeah. and the, the cover looks yeah, like that. Looks I mean, like, it really captures yeah. the the aesthetic of it, and that's one of the things I think about that record is, you know, kind of in an era before Bandcamp downloads and whatever. Getting that, it felt like a yeah. complete package to me, where it was it was also some of the sort of nicer art scene on some of the stuff back then. It was obviously very yeah. designed, but it also really lent every panel lent to the feel of the album. It was in service of the sounds and oh, yeah, he nailed it. such a conceptually nice release. And it doesn't surprise me that you spent so much time working on it. Cause I think you can hear that when, yeah. when you listen to it. Uh, and it's yeah. uh, pretty funny that, that Nicholas wanted to do a double CD just after hearing it. I, I I understand. I, I yeah, know. Thank you. I know why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 in, in the, in the history of wealth, that's definitely one of them. That's like, for me is in the top 10 of, of things that I'm really, really, I mean, uh, you know, all of the releases, I mean, I'll, you know, I'll even admit some are, you know, are, are better than others. And that's definitely one of them. But another thing that, that I uh, was good about that release was that I, Got samples, some samples from Navicon Torture Technologies, uh, Bargain Basement. So I don't know if you guys have heard Bargain Basement before, well, but well, it's 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 cool you mentioned Bargain Basement because a very very obscure project. But yeah, when we did a our two part interview with with Dominic a few yeah. years ago, he talks about Bargain Basement being a big person in in his early days. Oh wow, that's hilarious. And, yeah. and, and and in fact, they they in the story they met up at Triple uh, R back in the in the nineties for for a show. So oh, that's just, awesome! Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's a super super obscure project that I had only, you know, as far as I can tell, you and Dominic uh, they're the only two. You're the only two people I know who have really ever I've seen oh, mention yeah. Bargain Basement. No, his he uh, self abuse. Self abuse records again, uh, amazing. You know, it was amazing what you could find, still find through the through Patrick. But yeah, so I got I got so uh, it was like two or three tapes 
of bargain basement and i was just like i gotta reach out to this guy because it was you know i i was i really like the sound collage type stuff like you know with auger and 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 jeff's hands hands too uh so i was like i just reached out to him and and it, we actually ended up doing a split release on solacism uh bargain basement and wilt release that was called flea market 1958 God, <laughs> so, there's so there's so many releases on on that label that yeah. I, I'm like, God, I, you know, not mm-hmm. familiar with that one. going to have yeah. to try to track it down. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was, he, I mean, so, you know, it was one of those things where it was more email back and forth kind of a thing, but we stayed in touch for a little while. And then, you know, it, you know, in a lot of instances, you kind of just, you lose communication for a while. It just it happens. Just, just happens. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's hilarious about Tom. You said radio 1940 is one of the, sort of more monumental releases to you. I was going to actually follow up the, the, my line of questioning about that release with what are other things you, you feel are in the 25 year history of Wilt are the landmark recordings? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's a particular favorite for me because it, it just depends on my mood because there's a lot of variation in, in the output. Uh, but I would, I would say like, um, I would, you know, the black box aesthetic, I think, because that was when I, I really got the sound right. Wither, those uh, those few early ones like Wither, black box aesthetic, um, Radio 1940. Uh, then I would say, wow, there's uh, maybe as giants watch over us because I was really trying to do incorporate more electronics into Wilt. So I was really kind of exploring kind of different instruments and sounds with that one. And was that part uh, of a trilogy with the thing I released or was that a, uh, a different? Because um, right, Lies the Path of Doom was in conjunction with a couple other releases. Yeah. Lies the Path of Doom, I think, ended up on the Damnation Helix Zeitgeist Movement Volume 2 that came out on Annihilus. Okay. So that that's a pretty strong release as well. Um, I think... Uh, Wow, man! Now, now I'm forgetting like every everything that I've done. <laughs> well, it's been a long yeah. uh, 25 years. I mean, it has. You've, yeah, you've released a lot of work throughout the years, and and continuously. There's no real gap in your output. If we look through your discography, it's like you started releasing stuff in '99, and there's something every yeah. year, a couple, a few things every year. So you've just been been working, and it's interesting to see because it continues to evolve. But there's something about Wilt, and I mean, you know, one of the things that I know the Connellys got really hyped on was the Radio Warfare cassette that just came out on Hospital, oh, one, uh-huh. which also yeah. I, I love, and it it still sounds like Wilt. There's still something there that is kind of immediate to me, and in fact, even when the Connellys were talking about it when we first got our, our tapes in, I was like, oh, you got to check out Radio 94. It's like, I already ordered it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I have to, have to, to fully admit we've, we've certainly checked out lots of Wilt throughout the years, but Radio 1940 was actually one we didn't have. And in the great interview in the, in the tape, it, it is talked about as maybe somewhat of continuation of Radio 1940. So immediately yeah. ordered it from Pat. Yes. And yeah. we've Pat. been we've been just fully, fully going back in on a lot of Wilt stuff. And a, a, a lot of it, and especially the way you talk about the recording, especially some of the stuff you talk about now, really speaks to Tara because she grew up in those farmlands. She knows yeah. that when you talk about I, rusty I, farm equipment. I've been in many yeah. a, an abandoned barn and, and yeah. seen many uh, bed springs with, with no stuffing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Love, I mean, love it. dead animals and and raccoon poop too. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> nests, unknown nests, and things yeah. of that that unknown nature. Nests. And and that's what Next I was going to ask. Album. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and and that's what I was going to ask you about is you know you reference shortwave radio, you reference oh, crypto- yeah. Yeah. cryptography. Did you have a shortwave wave radio? I know many times in very rural yes. settings, that's your only method of communication. Yeah, so so backing up to Radio 1940, I did use a shortwave radio uh, I got from, my dad had like a couple of really old old ones. Well, I, I don't know, you know, they were from like the, the 70s, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I was using those to make, you know, noise with, you know, because those are great noise generators. And so I would either, you know, just record those raw or, or send them through like a, a, a the 
the infamous Zoom 505 uh, multi effects pedal, uh, which is a which is a, a very old and awesome uh, effects pedal. Uh, so yeah, so I would do a lot of uh, stuff with with uh, shortwave radio as well, and I did uh, a lot on radio warfare as well. There were actually on radio warfare, I actually found a handful of uh, sound samples that I didn't use on radio 1940. So I actually incorporated uh, a lot of those older sounds from 2000 2001 into this release as well as some some newer updated sounds so and, and, and obviously as we always say on on episodes make sure to support our the artist directly and well it's got a great band camp with uh, so yeah. much stuff up there so Thank always you. always support it, it, it it's it means a ton to the artists and yeah. it's just it's just it's well, it's the way nowadays to just make sure that the that you know your support gets out there. Yeah, no, I I appreciate that. And honestly, for me, more so than anything, I just I I just want people to hear it. So, honestly, with Bandcamp, you can go and listen to it like three times before that prompts you to to pay for it. So, you know, go and check it out. You know, you don't you don't necessarily have to. I mean. It's always awesome when people, you know, buy things, but we're saying but you just, have to. Yeah. <laughs> to say you don't have to. We're saying you have to. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I just I uh, I want, you know, I want people to to hear the art, you know, basically. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, of course. No, absolutely. And yeah, like Grace said, it's just been nonstop for you and, you know, even even for myself and Tara, we've checked out Wilt throughout the years, have gotten things throughout the years. And somehow didn't get around to Radio 1940, but, you know, have the collab with Scam yeah. Crime, have other tapes on different labels, different collabs. And it, it's such a great wealth of a discography that you can keep going back in and discovering new things that you may not, you may have missed, passed by. That's, that's what's, I mean, that's yeah. the underground too. There's so, so much wealth of stuff that going back into rediscovering, what I always say is anytime we introduce a project to somebody I always say, man, you're so lucky. You have 25 years of a project that now you get to go dive into. I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm right. jealous of when someone gets into a, a thing super late. I love getting into things when there's just and you a can wealth just binge. to to dive yeah. into. But like you said, there is really no stopping. So Radio Warfare is it, well, is it the actual most recent thing that came out? I mean, in my mind, it is. But has something come out since then? As far as physical release, the tape that that uh, hospital put out is the most recent. Uh, but before that, um, no part of it uh, put out uh, Crypt Gloom on a, like a limited CDR kind of thing. So that, that's a, that was a physical release that that's uh, still available. And is that related to the self-abuse tapes? Yes. So that's part three. So, okay. Uh, yeah. A deep reflecting gloom, crypt hymns, and then crypt gloom. Those are, it's like a trilogy based off of Percy Shelley's poetry. It's very dark poetry. And so it was very easy to find inspiration and, and track titles for things with that. So, and then that, so that kind of trilogy, the first two releases, I kind of wanted to go back to the wither kind of sound. So that, that kind of aesthetic is I channeled into those first two tapes. And then Crypt Gloom is essentially, uh, different versions of tracks unreleased tracks and then like a remix of, of one of the tracks so yeah awesome but yeah those, those self-abuse tapes are fantastic i don't know if they're still available but if they are make sure to pick them up but also if they're not available i believe they're on your band camp at least digitally yeah i've got just a few left of those so yeah they, yeah. they turned out really well yeah, yeah, great, uh, absolutely great releases. And something that's on that release and on many releases is the Wilt logo and symbol, something that you do repeat yeah. throughout the years and something that I, that I find as the years go on, logos and symbols from projects are just so invaluable and just really make the mark about what you're going to want to listen to. Was that from your metal background just knowing that having a font having a logo having a symbol is something that is important to a project is that something you've always thought was going to be part of wilt yeah well i mean I, I so i have a design background so i you know i you know i understood 
the ideology behind, you know, branding and logos and things of that nature. And metal, black metal, death metal, I mean, some of the most creative logos you've ever seen are within those genres. So, yeah, so the idea was to, uh, yeah, have a sort of a consistent looking logo that that represented wealth. And the first version is basically the one that I'm, yeah, I still kind of use them, but it depends on the type of sounds or of release. So there's actually three different versions of the Welt logo. One, it's just like a font that says Welt. One, it's the more logo version. It's kind of like the black adder looking script of, of what not script, but the letters Welt with the with the um the crow next to it. And then there's a a black metal version that I did. There I tried to do like a black metal version of the Welt logo that I use on more of the aggressive death industrial kind of sounding thing so like she i don't know if you guys ever heard the she tape that's one of uh that's a top tenner for me as well as the she tape that uh andy put out on danvers state recordings it's it's death industrial brutal very very aggressive the recordings were very aggressive kind of sounding and very emotional as well i haven't heard that one um, i'm gonna have to check it out i haven't heard yeah she she is is uh the yeah, it's it's uh, I'm very proud of that one. And, and Andy did a great, great job with it. So I really I really appreciate that. Is it referencing the film? She well, actually, the idea came from the Misfits. Oh, she, oh nice. Fantastic. Yeah. So I always like I always like that the name she um, but it but it was also a reflection of uh, the relationship that I was in at the time. And there's there's actually uh, not poetry, but it's very sh- a few paragraphs that kind of speak to the concept of the album um, that kind of summarize it. And then you can kind of get the rest from the, the track titles. But it's, it's sort of a reflection of a particular individual and the experiences uh, that I had with that individual uh, channeled through this this sort of dark art. So and what's cool is I also did a cover of the Night Side of Eden by Disembowelment on that uh, album. Nice. So, yeah. So I, it was my interpretation of it. And uh, of course. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but uh, I did, you know, I did like the the lyrics over it and they're kind of like spoken word kind of buried into it. So, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's more death industrial black noise kind of sounding uh, album. Is that on so, your yeah, 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 that one's, P- that pick one's it, up Picking there. it up right as after we finish recording, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you that. Cool. Um, but yeah, so depending on the release, because um, sometimes it's really hard to put the main Wilt logo, which is that, you know, the the Wilt with the crow on it. Mm. It's really hard sometimes to pair it with art where it doesn't kind of look silly. Right, right, right. You know, so I have to be really careful how I approach the design uh, of it you know, to really get it to fit in. Uh, so a lot of, you know, so if it's, if it's not on there, I just didn't feel like it was working out, but ultimately, yeah, that's, that's the the main logo. And it's, you know, I feel like it's important to be consistent uh, with it. So it's recognizable because there's like 20 other wilts out there. So, you know, <laughs> consistency is very important when it comes to the, your band or project. Well, know, we know so. your wilt when we hear it. So no confusion there. Yeah, Absolutely. I that. Yeah. So what else we got planned for the rest of this year or even into the next 25 years, any live shows, uh, any more releases physical or otherwise, what are you, what are you working on and planning right now? Yeah. Uh, so for the rest of this year, I'm doing uh, some expanded, just digital reissues through Bandcamp. Some stuff that that I feel like were much smaller releases that probably didn't get as much exposure. So, like the first one that I put out is for August is Solar Metaphysics, and it's a collaboration with Cornucopia. Oh, I love Jorge and, uh, and his work, yeah. so I'll have to check that one out too. Awesome. Yeah, it's I'm very very proud of that particular release. It's it's very layered, and uh, there's a I just feel like it everything just really clicked with that particular release. So it's almost, I put it up on Bandcamp. It's like almost two hours. Cause I, we did like four, four new tracks with it. Plus it comes with a, a PDF of artwork. You can print out, make into an art zine and stuff like that. 
I was checking it out earlier today. I enjoyed it, but of course could not. Yeah, it's pretty Listen to the entire thing, but yes, that's the type of thing that tickles my fancy. Yeah. And I, so I also changed the track order on it so it flowed better. So there's, there's, there's sort of like a build up, and then it, you know, it kind of takes you up. And then, and at the very end, it kind of is a nice flow outro. So it, it, the track listing is, or track order is a little bit better. And then, so, for each month for the rest of the year, because it's the 25-year anniversary, I just wanted to try to do something, you know, special for it. So in August, the Solar Metaphysics, September is going to be Grave Flowers, um, just the Wilt tracks, not not the Monster tracks. Then in, oh, geez. October? Octo- yeah, October is gonna be i can't remember everything i'm doing now but so there was a a release that i recorded in 2001 that never got released it was an unreleased album from 20 plus years ago called moldy earth and essentially uh the the concept is to create an opus kind of like i'll using one sound source but instead of using one i i kind of paired it with the idea of like hands two so kind of merging those two together so all the sound sources are from natural materials like dirt rocks salt water stone you know and then field recordings of like tornadoes and things like that uh so and originally it was supposed to be on fusion audio recordings um who actually released a really good uh three cdr set of cornucopias but uh barry sheffield was going to put that out but he he kind of stopped his label at the time and then sent me back (laughs) sent me back the cdr like a year and a half ago and i completely forgot about it i i had no memory of it whatsoever and he sent it back and i was like wow I, you know i i can't believe, i can't believe i forgot about this barry uh, so barry to, worked as r4 back in the day right yeah okay yeah. He, cool. i think he's still still doing stuff as r4 i think that's what his project is okay yeah wow. i've it's early tronics uh left-handed decision r4 split <laughs> on my shelf somewhere Oh shit! I didn't even start talking about Tronics yet because I, I, I made it from the manifold to self abuse, and I was about to. That was that was another really. So there were like a triad of really influential labels and distributions. Manifold was was the first. Self abuse was next, which is East Coast, and then then I found out about Tronics on the West Coast and tried to communicate quite a bit to to Phil. Yeah, really, really cool label. A lot of really interesting ideas that came out of that that were a little bit different than what I was hearing from the Midwest, uh, East Coast. Phil is one of a kind, and and so is Tronics. Yeah, yeah, I love, I love. You know, I think it was interesting because from an artistic standpoint, I didn't really think about the idea of kind of like fetish within as a as a concept fueling noise. And I don't know if this is the way Phil thought about um, left-handed decision, but it was like all these releases that were like total Asia Argento fetish. So you'd get like all, you know, it was like this consistent theme, you know, that I see kind of had, you know, evolved into, you know, like wall noise and harsh, harsh noise wall and things like that. But it was just like this, this kind of like, for lack of a better word, like fetish element to this just brutal, harsh noise. At the time, it wasn't even called harsh noise wall or wall noise. It was just, just, just insane noise. Uh, but yeah. But as far as uh, the rest of the year, um, Cemetery Road. I'm gonna that ha- I haven't released that on Bandcamp yet. So I'm gonna put that. That's another top ten album, Cemetery Road, a Dead Electronics. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's there's five different. I think I'm forgetting one of them, but of course. Well, people should just keep an eye on and yeah, subscribe an to your Bandcamp <laughs> if you want to get updates about these new digital releases. Yeah, and then uh, as far as live, yeah, I'd love to get back into the live arena. You know, now that things are are going a little bit better, I've got enough gear. You know that I can kind of get out there and and do well properly. Um, but it's just, it's really kind of just, I, I want to be more particular about the types of, you know, venues and shows and stuff like that. Um, yeah. you know, you want to make sure you're playing to the right audience and things like that. So, but yeah, I would, I'd like to, I'd like to get out there and, and start being live again. That would be fun. 
Heck yeah. Well, man, this has been really cool talking to you. Obviously, 25 years, I'm sure there's tons of stuff we didn't get to, but I think yeah. we are- Well, I just, can derail and add one in right now if you want me to derail your wrapping up You're always session. really good at derailing. I'm really, it's like <laughs> what I'm best at. I think, if you I think, want me to, I'll do it right now. I think the important thing is that everyone listening right now goes and picks some stuff up at Wilt's Bandcamp or physical releases from self-abuse or anyone who's carrying stuff because there's a wealth of stuff to check out and yeah. it is so much different, so many different zones that Wilt goes yeah. in. Mm -hmm. And as we're, as you know, at least where we are, it's heating up, but it'll, we got a month or two, everything's going to start getting into the perfect time to start listening to some Will October, November. Or Scarecrow Electronics. That's, yeah, exactly. Scarecrow. Right. Absolutely. Yes. So We're almost stock up on Wilt for the fall and winter. And hey, summer too. Come on. We gotta yeah. you gotta you gotta push that brutal hot sun away with some dark <laughs> electronics. Well, James, this was so awesome. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad. Yeah, yeah thanks to, for talking with us. Chance yeah, thank you guys. Down. I appreciate mm -hmm. it. Heck yeah. All right, man. Well, hopefully we'll get to see you live someday soon. I would love that. Awesome. Cool, man. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. Thanks. You have been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 20 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.